Hey, this is Joe Bakmotsky and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. I've got a really special guest for you today. Her name is Sammy and she's an expert in exercise and cancer. And she's going to tell you why it's important, why exercise is so crucial during cancer and how you can do it in a way that really helps you to get the outcomes that you want, but also to do it in a way that is safe and it is really going to make you feel better over the long term. Sammy, you know, um, cancer and exercise, you don't kind of think of the two that go together. So tell me, why is exercise important during cancer and after cancer? And is it even safe? So definitely, I'm going to address the safety thing first. So the safety and feasibility studies on exercise and cancer have been going on about 15 years now. And we've really determined that for nearly every single type of cancer, maybe some of the real rare cancers we haven't studied in clinical trial, but the safety and feasibility has always been great. I mean, you'll certainly see an adverse event once in a while, but not very often. I think one of the biggest things that we know about cancer and exercise is that so many of our cancer treatments or just the experience of cancer, the more sedentary behavior, just the the lifestyle changes and also the not feeling so good lead people to be more deconditioned. And so exercise, when done correctly, really helps combat those side effects. And I think what's really important for people to understand is if they exercise, if they improve their strength, their function, it helps them reduce side effects even years after their diagnosis and treatment. Because people that don't exercise after treatment don't always rebound the same way that somebody that exercises. So not only is it safe, I think it's one of the most effective and underutilized tools. And I think in large part because people are scared. They're just not sure what to do, which we understand as exercise oncology people, it is the biggest barrier that we have. Yeah, fantastic, Sammy. So, so what do you do? Like what sort of exercise can help you, let's say, during treatment? So I think one of the most important things people need to understand is not all exercise is the same. So I think that's the exact question we ask. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that walking tends to be the most recommended or prescribed type of exercise, but walking is really the same muscles as using your, like doing your activities of daily living or, you know, taking care of your daily activity, making food or getting dressed, etc. So for a lot of folks with fatigue, it's not helpful for them to dip in the same gas tank and use the same muscles. So we're really pushing people to resistance training to build those strength muscles back So when you don't say, let's say you were doing laundry, every single week you were carrying four or five loads of laundry up the stairs, down the stairs in your house, right? And then you go through cancer treatment and what happens to that, you know, that task? Well, somebody might do it for you because people want to help, which is great. Um, Whatever those lifestyle changes are, and you don't do that laundry for maybe two months. Well, when you go back and do that load of laundry, the first time you go walk up the stairs, it's hard. And so a lot of times that those strength muscles that you don't use, you lose. And so we really recommend a lot more of the resistance training type of exercise because that's actually going to reduce fatigue the quickest and help people get back to their activities of daily living. Um, resistance training simply means overloading muscles. So standing out of your chair might be resistance training for some just with body weight. Others, they might need to add like five pound weights or a sack of flour or a milk jug. Anything that overloads muscles is always considered to be resistance training and honestly, the most effective type of exercise. Fantastic. And so tell me about this idea of prescribing exercise. Is it like an individual program that you create for people? (laughs) 
you know, it, it, it's always individual because you have to ask people like, what do you like to do? What do you not like to do? And people <laughs> always say to me like, well, I don't want to run. I was like, well, that's good because we don't really recommend running as the first line type of exercise, but we take into account a few things. We take into account people's history. You know, if they've never exercised in their life, just them starting to move in a different way may feel different and they're not sure how their muscles should feel. They're not sure how to, you know, adjust for what feels like pain, which you and I might know as muscle burn, but they might say, well, why are my, my muscles hurting? Um, so we take into account that and their preferences, what their availability is. Do they need to exercise at home in a gym, um, you know, at work in the basement, whatever that is. We also really take into account their cancer, um, their treatments and their side effects and anything related to maybe surgical changes. So when you boil all of those things and, and dump them into a big pile, it, it does become very individualized, but keeping in mind that we really do prescribe and recommend strength training first. And so I always start with, okay, I want you to be as active as possible, but your exercise program is going to be focused on building muscle. And here's how often you do it, or here's something that you avoid, et cetera. So individualization is key, but honestly, the exercise recommendations that we have that are really basic and, and kind of simple don't allow or teach exercise professionals how to individualize. So those are some of the gaps that we're really working on literally throughout the world. How do you take somebody with you know, certain types of cancer or stages of disease and make it individual? And I think that's the big struggle right now for even our cancer survivor population is finding professionals that really look at them for them and not for their cancer. So I'd love to say that we're really good at it. I think some people are, but I think that's the biggest barrier for our survivor population is knowing how do I find somebody and what do I do or what do I not do? Because it is very individual. Speaking of cancer survivors, you know, we have some probably pretty unique challenges as in, first of all, your body may be deconditioned after treatment, but you're also yeah. worried about, you know, late effects and after effects, all sorts of things. So what advice do you have on that front that, that is specific to, to cancer survivors? I think the biggest thing that we really work on is educating a survivor of how important and what exercise is going to do. Because I think we all know we should move more, we should eat healthy, right? But then what's to say that I just go forget it. I'd rather just have my, you know, glass of wine and sit around and watch Netflix all day. So we really sit down with people individually and especially our survivor population and explain to them why this is so important. Everything from reducing side effects during and after treatment to sometimes impacting survival. Or another really great study that just came out recently for cost of healthcare out of pocket was cancer survivors in breast, prostate, and colorectal that met the minimum physical activity recommendations per week, which is 150 minutes, it's about 22 minutes per day, they had 36% less out-of-pocket expenses related to healthcare. And what we felt was those patients, and this is what the study said, it really looked at how in the big picture exercise, just fitting those recommendations, impact how that person lives. And financial barriers are one of the biggest challenges for patients and something that we hear a lot. And so looking at, hey, this is a way that you can improve your life after cancer. To me, that's a survivor. Someone living well after cancer, that's the goal of survivorship. So it's kind of selling that to people individually. Um, some people will say to me, you know what, I lost all the muscles in my arms, or I can't get on the floor with my, my son or daughter, or I can't take my dog for a walk. And so it's really addressing how are we going to help them get their life back? Because for most survivors, they really think that cancer took that away. 
because before cancer, they were living a certain life. And then the cancer experience happened and all of these things happened and now their life is different. And so how do we use exercise to get back their ideal life? And I think that's the opportunity that we as exercise professionals need to hone in on and really push forward. We're not going to hurt you. If chemotherapy and radiation didn't hurt you, I assure you we won't. <laughs> right? It's, it's kind of sad. People are like, oh, well, am I okay? I'm like, you're in chemo right now. I assure you, this is much better. <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's so great that it not only makes you exercise helps you uh, live longer, but it, as you say, it can also help you save some money. And one thing that I personally never realized before starting exercise is that it also gives you more energy in your day-to-day -day life. So, I mean, I used to be the type of person who would like laugh at people who would say they feel better after exercise. And now right. I'm like, I can't believe that I just feel so much better. So why does it happen? Like, why does exercise um, give you all this extra energy, right? Well, there's two things. There's two ways exercise helps. The first way is kind of that quick way, which is just endorphins, right? Those feel-good hormones. You get the same endorphins when you run into somebody you enjoy hanging out with or you watch a great show and you laugh a lot. I tell people that are just not motivated, you know what, before you get off the couch, I want you to pull up your phone or your iPad or whatever, and I want you to pull up funny animal videos, okay? And I want you just to laugh for a little bit. It'll change your mood and like that dopamine response in your brain. Now go work out. Because if not, you're just thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. So those are those endorphins. And I tell patients, that's what happens in the first few weeks after exercise. Over time, we really are building up your engine. So I'm not really a great like car person. I'm married to a car guy. So I'm going to use a car analogy because I think it speaks <laughs> to most people. It's like I tell people, um, you know, I live in the Midwest in the United States. So we have trucks here, right? And if you're driving your big truck, if instead of your V8 engine, we give you some little two-cylinder, you know, European car engine, your truck's not going to move as fast or as, you know, it's just going to be like slow grind. So if you have that little engine, everything's going to be harder. But if we can build your engine, which comes from exercise as well as nutrition, everything's going to get a little easier. So I always tell people, what's your favorite sports car or your fast car? And let's build your engine to be that sports car. Because that makes sense to people. But if they go through this experience of cancer, they almost forget what their sports car was like. So do I believe exercise improves energy? Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we have to start somewhere. And we also need to be mindful that just because you're motivated doesn't mean you should start with an hour a day. And, you know, it's, it's really being smart with that and really talking to somebody about, okay, what's a great place to start? I'd rather people get consistent and build up what they do daily before they start increasing their amount per day or even really their intensity. So consistency is really a key. And I love the car analogy that you use. So um, speaking of nutrition, I know that's a whole huge area in itself. Yeah. So, but what is, what is kind of your take on uh, nutrition and cancer? So really one of the most important things we tell people is food is fuel. So you have to eat. And also this goes back a little bit to my car analogy. You're not going to take your car and, you know, zip it to the back of your house, get your garden hose and fill up your car tank, right? But if you put junk in your body, you're not going to run as well. So while I don't think there's a great cancer diet per se, um, I think it's really important to lean on good nutrition, quality foods when possible. I realize that also there's barriers to getting things that are fresh or even organic. So I tell people, do the best that you can. Try to eat the least processed that you can. Protein is actually going to be one of the most important things for 
people that I work with because the only fuel for your muscles is really protein. So if you're eating just carbohydrates, you know, you will get energy from those because that's a source of fuel for your energy output, but not for your muscles. So that's probably the number one thing that we push patients either in the cancer treatment world or even survivorship or clinical exercise world is protein, 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 sometimes even outside of the clinical recommendations, but everybody's really individual. Gender plays a role here. Pre-existing body comp plays a role. So that's actually why finding somebody that's knowledgeable is key. The biggest thing I want to address about nutrition is the concerns that people have related to specifically eating sugar. And while I wish that we could say black and white, we knew, because honestly, if we knew sugar caused or fueled cancer directly, if we had clinical evidence, which we just don't, it would give us a a solution or a tool in the cancer world, but we don't. However, sugar, and sometimes it's okay. If you enjoy it once in a while, have your sweet and enjoy it. Daily, we really see that sugar is more of an inflammatory Um, And also a lot of our patients have diabetes issues or pre-diabetes issues or body composition issues that cause more insulin production. And I think the big thing that we need to realize is that it's not helping you feel better. So do I say not eat sugar? Well, no. I mean, I just showed you my piece of chocolate, (laughs) but I think, you know, but once in a while is good. But honestly, thinking about food as fuel is really what's key you know, eating clean, non-processed foods whenever possible is, is ideal. Yeah, I, I love this car analogy again, because yeah, you, <laughs> you're, I think what you're saying is that you're using fuel just in the sense that you only need a certain amount to really keep you going, right? Exactly. And I think that's where our culture, you know, we really do go more towards like the bigger meals because we think we're getting more for our money, but not really understanding what your body needs and what your metabolism or your caloric output is, puts a lot of us in a bad place. People struggle with gaining weight. And this clinical evidence is not necessarily that the cancer treatments cause us to gain weight. Certainly hormone suppression in certain populations, whether it's like breast or, you know, prostate, even testicular, like gynonc, all of those populations will lead to loss of muscle um, based on the treatments because we're suppressing those hormones. So that muscle loss leads to slower metabolism. Well, what happens if you have slower metabolism, you can't eat the 2000 calories a day that you did before cancer, your metabolism might only burn at 1500. Well, if you're eating 2000 calories a day, what's happening to those extra calories, it becomes storage. And that storage is usually what people complain about. So although it's important to exercise, it's also important to eat right for you. And that's actually where sometimes people get lost. Um, I encourage people if they're struggling, you know, track what you eat for a few days. Really look at what you do. I've done that. It's not always fun and pleasurable to go, oh, well, there you are. But (laughs) if you really want to make changes, sometimes putting your calories and your foods into like one of the apps on your phone or even on the computer is really eye-opening. Um, you know, weighing out food for a few days, not that you have to do that all of the time, but if you really want to make changes, sometimes you've got to get down and dirty and really look at what you're doing or what you're not doing. And I think those are some of the most important things and body composition is helpful for all of us. And so growing muscle helps boost metabolism. Yes, because muscle is the only metabolically active tissue on your body. So I mean, your heart's a muscle, right? So if you think about that's your primary muscle, that's the most important muscle, but all of your muscles that you, you know, use your arms, your legs, your head, your neck, everything, 
all of those muscles, when you use them, they're like their own little engines. So they need fuel. Okay. So the more muscle you have, think of like your big bulky people that you meet, like you know those big bodybuilder guys and how much food that they eat every single day or someone that's really active. You know, I know rugby's pretty big down under. We've yeah. got, you know, American football here, but I think it's really like the amount of calories that those individuals eat, but you look at the amount of muscle that they have, because if they don't eat those calories, they lose their muscle because they're burning so much every single day just at rest and then also when they're active. So for our patients, we need to really think about what their goals are. If they're wanting to gain muscle, and most people really need to gain muscle due to, you know, for strength goals and functional goals as well as metabolism, we need to kind of keep that in mind. If a patient, as an example, is underweight and they start exercising, I have a really specific talk with them and we use the dietitian to say, okay, you now are going to be burning more calories because you have, we're putting muscle on you and that muscle is active. So you need to eat more. You can't just eat what you used to eat. So we have to always be mindful of what adjustments we need to make um, as we go. Yeah, that makes so much sense, Sammy. So is there anything you would, else you would recommend for someone, you know, to be in good shape mentally, just socially, emotionally when it comes to cancer? Uh, you know, I think community is really key. I think a positive community is one of the most important things. I think finding people that you can just talk to or just know that they get it makes a lot of sense. Um, we run like a functional fitness program in Kansas City, and we have felt that the power of that group is the community because people know that the person standing next to them understands the same fears that they have. So I, I find that putting cancer survivors together and like the work that you do with your podcast is makes them say, oh yeah, me too. I totally thought that. Or I had that same fear and I didn't know who to ask. So like community is a really key piece. I also think finding recovery or enjoyment in life is a really key piece. We always go, 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 go. And I'm certainly that person. And then I hit this time point in my life or my, my week that I'm done. I put my phone down. I put my computer away. You know, it's just myself, my family or my loved ones. And you just do something fun. And I, I don't really care if someone texts me or an email comes in. And I think that it's sometimes hard to disconnect for people and, and really focus on that recovery. But, you know, it's one of the most underutilized things that we have is taking care of ourselves. And if I don't take care of me, I can't take care of others. So I think those are probably two key pieces that we don't talk about enough, but people should find. Um, honestly, I tell people again, if you're having a bad day, funny animal videos, always funny animal videos. It's the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy, it's free, and it's always fun. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic, Sammy. And it's such a great advice because so often, you know, we spend a lot of time looking after other people. And sometimes, especially if you go through tough times, you got to put yourself first, right? Yep, absolutely. And I think that really goes back to just the basis of diet and exercise. If I'm eating junk just because someone around me is eating junk, then I'm not taking care of me. And I think sometimes it's hard to say no to something or to turn somebody away. I mean, in, in cancer, I tell people cancer comes with casseroles and people like want to take care of you. And they're like, I'm going to bring you a casserole and you feel bad, but you don't really want to eat it. I'm like, well, why not? You know, it's just be confident in taking care of you or tell people what you want, you know, be specific. But at the end of the day, we all have individually are most responsible for ourselves. And so I know that I need to take the time to exercise every day. I need to take the time to, you know, go see people that are fulfilling to me and do things that I love. Um, I need to eat well and 
also enjoy a good glass of wine now and again, but really what are, what does it see me wants? You know, what is it Joe wants? What are those important factors? And I, I think we forget that as we go, um, especially when you go through a cancer experience and you kind of forget who you are. Yeah, absolutely. That makes so much sense. So tell us about your exercise program that you've got for those folks dealing with cancer. So we do a couple of things. Um, I've been doing exercise and cancer for about 15 years and I started you know, really seeing people way, you know, way out, like three, four, five years out of a diagnosis and treatment. And they just were like, I never really got my life back. Like I never really got me back. And then I started working in the clinical setting and seeing people, you know, very early and seeing them in the, in the clinical world where there's exam rooms and treatment facilities. And I realized that to teach people to move, I need to move with them or show them how to move or coach them how to move. And so we started a community-based program. That's a small group program. We do functional fitness. So functional fitness is basically exercise that mimics improving everyday life. So remember my laundry basket example from earlier, we teach people to do the same exercises that will help them with their activities of daily living, but just living well. So I want them to be able to get something off the floor, get themselves off the floor, put something on the top shelf, carry something heavy. And so all of our exercises are based upon those kinds of movements. We also really work on increasing people's heart rate because I want them to get aerobically conditioned as well. And we do mobility and recovery. We do all of that in a group setting because it's more fun as a group and people will work harder if the person standing next to them is also working hard. And there's this psychological piece of you look out of the corner of your eye and you think, oh, they're doing it. I got to keep going. And so we realize the power of the community. Um, our community is all different types of cancer. It's men and women. We've got everything from previvors people that have had the genetic mutation um, gene diagnosed and surgeries, all the way to individuals with advanced illness. We have a two-time pancreatic cancer survivor. We have you know, a head and neck, colorectal, um, ovarian. I mean, you name it. We've got a variety of groups. And it really doesn't matter what type of cancer they have or exactly what their course um, of treatment or surgeries is, but they get it because they've all been affected by that word. Um, our community also extends into caregivers and supporters because we feel like cancer affects everybody. And I think it's also important for our caregivers to have something to help themselves because they're often very busy caregiving. We measure a lot of outcomes in our program. We measure fatigue, we measure depression, we measure body composition. And we've really learned that people that do these exercises really three to four times a week only for you know 30 to 45 minutes they have significant improvements no matter where they are in their, in their stage. So I think it's kind of a pixie dust um, <laughs> that people <laughs> should be moving, but I think it's the community that makes it so impactful. And that's something that I can't do myself. You know, I just, I built a place where they can come and that's actually what we've done over time. They show up, they bring others, they stay. It's, it's amazing. And I just sort of sit back and just, I smile because I, I just see how positively it impacts them and impacts me. That's fantastic, Sammy. So what's the website? Um, so our main website is cancerwellnessforlife, all spelled out, .com. And we are actually just opening up a new fitness facility that we'll own. We've been had partnered in another fitness facility. And so that new fitness facility, so depending on when your listeners listen, is we build for the number four, life.com. And that's actually going to be our fitness-based program um, of our company. So that gym is going to be opening up here in a few weeks in Kansas City. So 
we had some great opportunities and we'll be getting some grants to build up some fitness videos. So one thing that I'm really excited about is also to develop some like YouTube and online content because I want people anywhere in the world to be able to, you know, get what we do and be able to access it no matter where they are, what time zone they're in or, or what they need. So that's really one of my biggest goals is to spread it out. So we've got some great um, funders and it's like, my dream come true, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. so fantastic, Sammy. I mean, good luck with that. And thanks so much for your time. And thank you so much for what you do in the world. I think this it helps so many folks. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for great questions. Have an awesome, awesome day. Thanks, you too. You bet. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and thanks so much for listening. Listen, I just want to take a moment to really thank you for your time, because I know that it's precious, but also I want to congratulate you. I really want to congratulate you on listening to this podcast, because as we both know, cancer is incredibly hard to deal with, and you don't want to go it alone. And you want all the support and all the advice that you can get to, to stay on top of it, to stay on top of your worries during cancer. So I, I want to tell you about the tools that I have available on my website on simplifycancer.com that can really help you. So all of these tools are available under the tools menu on simplifycancer.com. So tool number one, that's the first visit oncologist checklist. So if the word oncologist bothers you, like I, I know it really freaked me out. If you are worried about your first appointment, as, as again, as we all are, then this can really help you with some key questions that you want to ask. The key thing, of course, is having a list like this means that you won't forget something important, which is easy enough to do when, when you've got a million things going through your head. Plus, it's a handy PDF, so it's easy to print and write down all the answers so you don't forget. So then there is the outcome map. Like this is a really simple but really powerful tool that I have developed to help you deal with worries about something specific, something that's bothering you right now. So maybe you're waiting for your test results and your mind's off running in a million different directions. Or maybe you've got an ache or pain and you don't know what it is. Like, is it cancer? Is that a side effect from treatment? Or maybe is that something else altogether? So it will kind of help you to put it all together so you can, you can get a bird's eye view and decide how to best deal with it. Number three is mastering your emotions during cancer. Now, this is a walk through all the stages that you go through as a patient and as a caregiver through anger and through guilt and fear and how you can address your needs, your emotional needs on every level during cancer. Like it came about after many discussions that I had with my friend and my colleague. Her name is Jill. Her husband had prostate cancer, so uh, so he, she has this kind of caregiver's perspective. And we both like talked about how there are so many times um, when you go through cancer when you kind of just feel alone and you're struggling. You're on this roller coaster of emotions, and it's kind of full on and it's hard to deal with. So there, there's an audio version that comes along with it and there's a link to download the MP3 if that's what you want or you can just listen to it online and, you know, and just uh, listen along with the PDF. So another one is testicular cancer support kit. This has a one page summary of what the testicular cancer journey looks like that you can check out for yourself or share with your family or friends. Like it's got a helicopter view of all the symptoms and treatments and who's involved and what happens when. And 
it's really great one kind of page view of like what happens during testicular cancer. Plus, the kit also includes like ready-to-go email templates for your family, friends, and your workmates. So you can kind of share what's what's happened. Maybe you want to break the news on cancer and you don't want to think about and wreck your brain on what to write. So you can just copy and paste. You can tweak it a little bit so to suit your personality and you're good to go. And I've also done the same thing for prostate cancer. So check out the prostate cancer support kit. Again, it's showing all the treatment options and stages on one page. So you can walk someone through it like someone from your family or a friend. And they know what to expect and how it all happens. And of course, when you sign up for any of my tools, and we just talked about, you'll also get an email from me when, when there's a new episode that's kind of relevant to you right now and other news from the world of simplified cancer. And listen, I'm, I'm going to keep on asking you about how I'm doing here. I mean, are you getting what, you, what you're looking for? Was there something in particular that, that really made sense to you? Or is there a question that you want to ask? Or maybe there's, there's just something that you, you want to get off your chest. Like, please, I need to know. Just reply to any of my emails or send me an email right now. My email is joe at simplifycancer.com. So that's J-O-E at simplifycancer.com. And send me an email whenever you've got anything on your mind. So again, I want to thank you for listening. Till next time. 